Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm Amy Stevenson. Today is all about using horses for therapy. Tish Fielding, who founded Jamie's Farm, has a truly fascinating story. She's been through heartbreak and trauma herself, and still yet she found the strength to help young disadvantaged teenagers. And that's exactly what she does today. Her and her team's work at Jamie's Farm is phenomenal. We learn a lot through horses, and we can learn even more from Tish. This is Horse Hour. I am very, very excited to be in the most peaceful place I think I've been. I've driven up to Wiltshire to a place called Jamie's Farm. And I was first introduced to Jamie's Farm through my very close friend, Rebecca, who she's a teacher. And Rebecca has raised a lot of money to bring and I hate this word disadvantaged, but disadvantaged children and teenagers to spend a week with Tish at Jamie's farm to help with therapy and just finding their roots again. And I've quite often talked about therapy and uh, how we can use horses for therapy and animals for therapy, uh, because when we go down to our horses, we need time out and, um, and it brings you back to your roots. So I'd like to introduce Tish Fielding, who is the founder of Jamie's Farm, and we're going to explain all about Jamie's Farm, what they do, and the great work that they offer. So Tish, how are you? I'm good today, thank you. We've just had a group of children leave, and there's a sense of relief because it's been a very tough week, Mm. um, but also real um, sadness because you get very close to the children and excitement that their lives might change. So yes, it's nice to be here with you. It feels... (laughs) calm and quiet because they've just left. (laughs) How many children did you have this week? We have 12 um, in a group with their three teachers and it's very intense because they come on a Monday and leave on a Friday and they go through a whole emotional journey in that space of time but watching them unravel and become more true to themselves and begin to be little shining stars which is every child has something within them we're just trying to help them recapture a sense of being themselves being individuals some of these teenagers backgrounds what sort of things do they go through it ranges from things that you would look at and think well on the surface that looks like a a a normal if we dare ever use that word, or happy family, but it might be a child within that family who has particular learning issues so that they may have, be on an autistic spectrum, they may have hyperactivity and be ADHD. It may be that they are children who feel the odd one out. They might have high-performing siblings and be the one who really is struggling. But for the most part, I would say our children are coming from backgrounds where there is uh, real poverty, um, poverty of culture and of experience. Uh, There's a real lack of resources in their lives. They're often sole parents who are struggling very hard to do the best, but might have themselves historic problems. You know, they might be themselves products of very very damaged families and so we're seeing children who might have alcoholic parents who have witnessed a lot of domestic violence they might have have uh, be a carer for a parent who's really struggling and that they might equally 
be a child who someone just can't work out why they've chosen to be selective mute or they might be bouncing off the walls and appear to have no containment or boundaries Mm. and no sense of order and challenging the world but beneath that behavior there will be something that's driving it and so our task is to work with each child as an individual and help the schools understand that and send them back hopefully in a better resource place to trust themselves and trust other people well, from from what Rebecca has shown me over yeah. the years of bringing students yeah. here, because she's a teacher, yeah. um, the the results, the changes in these children is mm. remarkable. And she says she notices it throughout um, throughout the rest of their career, throughout the rest of their their time with her at yeah. school. Is their results get better? They start working harder, but most importantly, they can communicate better. Yeah, which I find really fascinating yeah. because. The, the animals, what animals do you have here? Horses, sheep? We have everything. It's a mixed farm, so we go from poultry, I guess, it's our <laughs> smallest, up to our large bulls that we breed. But we've got cattle, sheep, pigs, horses. Um, we have a lot of dogs. Um, we have the whole range, and children will respond to different animals in different ways. At the moment, we're lambing. We lamb three times a year. So visiting children get a chance usually to help deliver a lamb, but be involved in their care. Um, We have a cat milking cow, so they get involved in actual the care, the daily care and the kind of consistency that's needed with a milking house cow, you know, who's at the gate waiting, Mm. um, wanting to be milked. And we've got about 250 sheep over 100 cattle so they're also working with large groups of animals and the horses we've got five horses and it's really important that within that herd children can approach the horse that feels like the one that they have something to work out with some kind of new friendship relationship um, so we'll, we'll talk, I'm very excited to hear about how yeah. you utilise the horses yeah. and use the horses yeah. to help them, but could you first share with us how you came up with this, how, <laughs> how you started Jamie's Farm? Because yeah. isn't it named after your son? It is, so my eldest son was uh, passionate about farming from a very young age, much more so than he was passionate about school. Um, <laughs> And I guess in, you know, in some ways he resembled the sort of children who are labelled now as hyperactive. But on a farm, working his own farm from the age of eight, he had animals. By 14, he had 50 animals. He was breeding, feeding them, selling them, talking to farmers, you know, um, renting land off people, making a small amount of pocket money out of them. But doing what felt so important to him was real work, Mm. really jobs that were worthwhile. Um, He was a sort of child who didn't play in an imaginative sense. He related from a very young age quite seriously to adults in the world, but also quite with a very great sensitivity. And he thrived on farming and he was lucky enough to be able enough to put his head down six weeks before his GCSEs and turn his results around from his predicted C grades to all A's because he could see the value of coming out of school with results and then he went on to um, do a degree uh, in Edinburgh where he was encouraged by Teach First when it first began he was part of their first cohort to go into teaching Mm. with this background passion of farming he decided to take some animals to his first school (laughs) and his school was a school where they spoke 56 different languages Uh, it was a school that had some very very uh, difficult young people and the impact immediately of having some sheep in the playground was that children turned up because they wanted to feed these pet lambs and children in the playground calmed down because they wanted to be around them. So Jamie had this concurrent interest in farming. I was a psychotherapist working with teenagers and schools and supporting teachers and always felt that I wish that therapy took place in a more um, natural setting rather than in a consulting room Mm. and so we had this 
tragedy in our family, which was that my husband felled a tree on himself. So suddenly we went from Richard being an architect and we had a small farm, which I encouraged Janie with and my other children. Um, but we had a lot of outbuildings because through architecture we've been building all our lives <laughs> and this big hole in our lives. And Janie and I decided to trial bringing children from his school to our farm and see whether the experience was meaningful to them in the way it had been for him. And we were just astonished at how the children changed shape, literally, visibly in front of us, how they calmed down, they quietened, they became more reflective, they became more active in a productive sense. And so we went on to invite various groups from schools that he had links with Teach First. And after having had 10 groups in our home, living and staying, so they were coming to my small farm Gosh. in Wiltshire, yeah. living everywhere in the house, you know, <laughs> tucked in all the corners. Um, and it was great fun, but it was very intense. But uh, we set up a charity and we by then had some evidence that what we were doing was working. And after we'd had 30 groups at my farm and 300 children and my own other children wow, felt oh my somewhat displaced, um, we managed, to, with the support of the community, who I knew very well, thankfully, from having been around this area since university, so I've lived around here for over 40 years now, um, to raise the money to buy this farm, Hill House Farm. And the amazing thing is that the the children themselves are the evidence and the teachers like mm. your friend Rebecca coming and living this experience but then the follow-up that we do with them means that we have evidence to show that it's a worthwhile intervention and so now the charity Jamie's Farm has three farms and a city farm as well in London and we're hoping to really increase the number of children that we can offer this experience to and the impact seems to be as you said for a lot of them it's lasting because you can't erase memory and they mm. create some extraordinary memories of how they can be as well as how the world can be so that's a long-winded answer <laughs> <laughs> your it's question. amazing it is it's yeah. incredible yeah. It, did it if you don't mind me asking mm. did the the creating Jamie's farm help or, or keep you occupied from the, the sad grief. loss of yeah. Richard? It was a horrific hole in my life, a massive crater. And, you know, I'm probably on the scale of slightly hyperactive myself. <laughs> so I think that forming something that I had such passion for mm. um, but it being still family driven as a sense initially I mean now we have sort of probably 30 plus staff but we still are we still operate from family as in the sense of community and connection um, and I think it really was amazing for me because I suppose, you know, you become a therapist because you have a need to be needed or you have a rescuing <laughs> tendency. And in my own, you know, therapeutic training, I, I could recognise that. But also that need for a relationship and connection, um, it was amazing to feel that I had not just the work with the children, but with the young adults who bring the children to the farm, mm. you know, the teachers and the people I work with. So it's reconstructed for me, family, in an a even sort of wider sense. And I absolutely love the work. So when you have that kind of love, it fills the hole that existed when, you know, your loved one disappears. And, and it also honours his life somehow, because without Richard, we could never have created. We bought series of derelict barns in Wiltshire and some <laughs> land and risked living in it we lived in the caravan to start with whilst we waited for planning but you know by the time he died we had a rather wonderful setup with um, our 15th century barn that I live in and these several other barns we converted um, and the land we'd bought and the woods that he'd 
worked in and died in. Mm. But all of that narrative has some meaning for the children as well, that there is there is a life story um, that goes alongside their life stories. And there's something about reparation when, when terrible things happen. I, I genuinely believe it's how you deal with it that counts rather than the event itself. Mm. And I feel that for the children passionately. But I can share my own story with them that Jamie's farm wouldn't exist unless I'd had this really tragic ending of you know 30 years of marriage Mm. by losing my partner yeah not only does it bring your family together um but one you can understand the children and what they're going through I keep saying children and they're not just children are they they're young adults well they're 11 to 16 and it's interesting because some 11 year olds are emotionally more like three as Mm. are some 18 year olds and some of them really are young adults and facing life circumstances that most adults would balk at yes so Mm. it's very hard to know what to call them young people (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I vacillate but then how do you on a a Friday um, when they've all gone home how do you then not take on all that emotional again the word baggage is not a nice word but it is that you're you're taking on their emotions because you're their counsellor for a week if it was me, I'd one wanting to be take them all home, yeah. and, and I want to know their future and, and want to know how they get on afterwards. Do you? How do you deal with that? That separation is hard, and I think that I, I feel incredibly grateful to my training as a psychotherapist mm-hmm. um, because it helps you process emotions, and one of them is about letting go, leaving endings, Um, and also the residue that children leave in you is often the bits, the fragments of their emotion that they're unworked, unprocessed. And so one of the tasks at the end of the week is to really spend some time trying to um, understand where those children have come from and maybe what's going on. And I write a report for the school on each child. And now we have more of a team of us, which is brilliant, a therapeutic team, so other people may be involved in seeing those children too. And, and you know, as a staff group, we have to get together and we have to talk about what we've experienced with those children, where we think the behaviour is coming from, and we make recommendations to the school. And in a sense, you're, if you feel that you've done your best, it's easier to, to let go. But also there is a follow-up. Um, a team from Jamie's Farm will go and visit those children in the school. Some of the children come back again on visits. Some get chosen as mentors for future groups in the school. And a lot yeah. of the schools work in partnership with us. So there might be up to 10 or more groups of children who've been to Jamie's farm. So you're, in a sense, creating a new sense of community within the schools, a Jamie's farm community, which has the values and the culture that we have here, which is one of considerateness and kindness and reflection and emotional honesty. And I think those children continue the journey. Mm. Um, So this isn't an end point, it's a beginning as I see it. And so I feel quite privileged to be part of a sort of launching mm-hmm. children into a new phase of their lives. And I guess I I couldn't afford to keep in touch with all of them because I would be awash with too many complex um, mm-hmm. connections. So for myself, I have to... It's almost like a ritual of letting go and trusting the universe that, you know, what will be. Um, But hoping that I've done what I can in a small way along their journey to sort of create markers and and flags that That give other people ideas, yes, of how to continue to support them. And internally, those children won't forget the relationships they built here. And I have great faith in that because I think Mm. all of us are governed by inspiration that we've received from other people. They inspire me. I mean, the children leave me inspired. They are so resilient, some of them, that it's incredible that they survive what they do and they remain 
lovable and loving is is quite a miracle. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's so interesting talking to you because after Rebecca has been here six years now, she's yeah. been coming back and she's brought the young people. Yes. So she hasn't even come here for therapy or help herself. Yeah. I can see bits of you in her. <laughs> That's lovely. Genuinely, too. she um, is uh, just the most amazing lady, yeah. a wonderful friend, and her morals and and values are second to none. I've never mm. met anybody like her. Mm. And um, and over the years, I, I've seen her gain ex- experience from Jamie's farm, and she's learning as well as the helping the youngsters. Yeah. She's learning herself. That's really important to me that this sense of value that the children have here extends to their teachers, the nurture and the and the kind of challenge as well of the conversation. But that those teachers go away more resourced and that they feel more enabled to be the best of themselves in teaching. So just like a child here wants to feel, I mocked out the horses, I did a good job. Mm. You know, teachers need to go away and feel, actually, I really found a way of meeting that child in that classroom that was productive rather than counterproductive. Or I really managed to have a tutorial session where I enabled that child to share and talk about their lives as they really are rather than put up a smoke screen and so anything we do here has to be it has to trickle through into the the uh, the conduit of the school you know the, if you want it, it's like an underground water system <laughs> you're infiltrating but you also want to be supporting those staff and honoring I mean teachers do the most stressful job that I can think of other than being a parent (laughs) but probably more so because they are society asks them to parent some of these children Mm. and not just one of them but they'll be teaching 300 of them so if we can do anything to support those teachers to feel more enabled and that is one of our primary tasks and that's why now we've got on our website we've got a very interactive part we're doing podcasts ourselves trying to support teachers talking about how to understand behaviour so that they can take some of the toxic nature of the environment mm. um, and find a way of getting either isolating it or digesting it or you know letting it go because the, also the stress levels in teachers are horrific yeah, and, and the absenteeism because they're ill and there's wastage and shortage and it it's not something that I feel they get sufficient recognition at a government level. So I'm really passionate that the experience of teachers here has to be good mm. and Cause, enriching. Because a lot of us think that teachers work, you know, school hours only and they get three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. and they get all, uh, you know, all these summer holidays. <laughs> oh. But I don't think I've known anybody no. to work as hard as Rebecca does. And it might vary depending on what schools they work in. But generally no, she's working generally. 16, 17 hour days yeah. All year round, not yes. not you know school holidays. They don't have school holidays off. She's working, or she's yeah. training, or she's learning more, or or taking children away even in the holidays. Mm. You know, I think there is a complete misconception about the commitment that teachers make um, to the job, and therefore you know a, there's an envy in in all cultures, and it's easy to knock teachers and say, yeah, but they get. 13 weeks a year off as you say they don't because Mm. actually they're often doing a lot of training and preparation and work during that time and their day is long Mm. and good teachers offer this commitment that they can't switch it on and off like you can in a lot of jobs you know from the moment they turn up maybe to run a breakfast club at seven o'clock in the morning to the last child who might walk out Often after seven o'clock in the evening, you know, they're they're running extracurricular activities, they're meeting with parents, they're it's a tough job. Mm. Yeah. And I think that if we can work um at Jamie's farm handing love to try and help change the culture of schools, uh, and the value system and how people are valued and supported and the kinds of conversations and communication that needs to happen for people to be at their best because a lot of it is about positivity if you you look at we're such a critical critical culture <laughs> yeah. you know and you watch any newspaper is dying to pull out the tackiness or the faults in people and shame and name them 
And that's not how people thrive. And so when children come here and their staff, you want to catch them out doing something well. And then you build on that and you work from positive on to positive. It's like, you know, a plant. It's not going to grow if you throw it out and put it in a, you know, soil that's completely desecrated and there's no nutrients. Mm. You you have to put the nutrients in. So how does it work then here when they all arrive? They're probably thinking, what am I doing here? (laughs) You're taking me out of the city into the middle of nowhere. I've got no signal, no wireless. Uh, They're not allowed their phones. So it's not only no signal, no wireless. It's I haven't got my phone. I'm not allowed any sweets. Um, It stinks is their first comment. It's filthy because they look down, you know, in their white shoes and they're standing often in a farmyard Mm. Um, but we do go into the schools first and it makes a big difference we do a pre-visit we take them films we answer questions we talk a bit about how it might be so we try and assuage some of the anxiety but yes they arrive and they're very very excited and very anxious and those two emotions are really easy to to get muddled and so the first thing we do is bring them into that lovely barn you came into and they mm. sit around the table and we do introductions where we introduce um, the Jamie's farm family to them the staff and we just introduce people very briefly it's what I like about this person and then we ask them to introduce someone in their group and just tell us what you like about them and it's so interesting how hard it is for them mm. to edit out the he's annoying she's a pain in the neck we just quietly go no that's that's the bit we're leaving behind for now we're starting with what do you like about this person and it builds from there they then go on a farm tour they see all the animals we put them in farming overalls so they can start to rush around and they can get muddy and they can be children instead of super cool (laughs) and we play an egg game where they chuck eggs and they have to see how far they can get apart until the egg smashes and some of them come in with egg shampooed hair and (laughs) um literally egg on their faces but in a really um it's it's trying to help children really unravel because they 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 live in a very serious world and they the phrase they use to me all the time is you have to watch your back in London you know here I don't have to watch my back and that that notion of the, the the image of like the backstabbing is it's in every bit of their life it's their phones their computers it's full of the social media that children get shamed through it's through walking down the street and not feeling safe it's the sound of sirens around them that make them fearful that someone's been hurt or hurting it's the noise of police cars you know there's the lack of safety that they experience Mm. in the urban environments is acute and a lot of these children are here because they are sensitive and it's built up layers and layers of defence and um, defiance in some and just just trying to protect themselves so that the the person you see on the outside is just merely a hard crust that's formed to protect the child that's on the inside. So mm-hmm. our job is to take away a lot of the things they need to defend against so they can start to evolve again and they can start to unravel and start to feel safe really. Gosh I want yeah. to be here myself. <laughs> How do you then integrate the animals into helping them? I mean, I often see people with horses and they're petrified. They're so afraid. But I've heard that that can be the first part of the therapy because they're, I mean, these are just bits that I've heard over the years, but they're a reflection. We always say horses are a reflection of our soul. Well, I think horses are very sensitive, like humans, and their behaviour is very evident and florid. You can see their their flight mechanism is so obvious that they are, if they're safe, you know, they have their head down, they're often licking and chewing, their eyes are soft, you know, the body shape is soft. It's so apparent to a child if a horse feels safe. Um, so you can stand alongside and be in that space that a horse can offer you if you're calm. And if you're not, the children see how very quickly the horses become a little bit shifty. They start looking around. They they move away. Mm. Um, they they do everything they need to do to protect themselves. And if necessary, they leg it. <laughs> and of course, 
Children are doing that internally, emotionally. They're literally taking flight. And we know that they go into forms of denial or deflection or all these defences that build up in us as human beings that not to be with because it's not safe. So when children meet horses, there's a powerful attraction. Most of them, most of them say... I really like horses, but I'm scared. Mm. And there are lots of myths about horses. Don't go behind them, they'll kick or they'll bite you or they'll do this or they'll do that. So there's lots of kind of archetypal warnings, but there's also, there is centuries worth, ancestors worth of connection with horses. And funnily enough, we had someone from another farm come here at the, um, during the week and he's always bred and kept cattle and then he'd gone to work on a farm where he'd be doing some breeding for someone or looking after their heavy horses. And he just said, they're like a total other species <laughs> because he said of their intelligence and sensitivity that's evident. So working with the children with animals... They may arrive and a dog will rush up to them. And most children are split both ways. Very few are neutral. They'll go, I hate dogs, I'm frightened of dogs, take the dog away. Or they go, oh, I love dogs. And they're all over them. And the dog gets overexcited and starts jumping and licking. And, and you think, oh, yeah, we're going to have to just help teach them that this animal needs them to model what it is to be calm and safe so that the animal can feel that it can actually meet them in a calm and safe way. So mm. children might be all over the place, you know, they're like, if they were an animal, they'd be wagging their tail and coming <laughs> up and, <laughs> and licking you, jumping all over you. But others are like the more frightened horse that might stand in the corner of the field and look at you warily. Mm. And we can use these parallels and metaphors in every little everyday language with the children around the farm looking after the animals you know with the sheep if you're driving the sheep um okay we don't want to spook them we don't want them to feel that you're you're not just moving them down the road but you're actually pursuing them um what does it feel like to you you know if someone's running up behind you and you don't know who it is um if we're moving the cattle it might be okay they need you to hold your ground show your boundaries here okay you're going to stand firm make a big noise you know and that might be a child who's never made a big noise it might be a child who feels very small but to enact being big gives them a sense in that kind of incidental moment of wow I can be like that Mm. you know I was like that and when we get back around to the table we every meal after every meal we have a group and we get get the children give each other shout outs which are they do a check-in and say how they're feeling and the shout out will be something they saw or admired or liked or um received from another child in terms of a form of behavior that they thought that that was helpful that was positive that was that was amazing and so often they comment on you were so brave you went in with the pigs I was too scared you know you carried the bucket for Doug when he was mucking out the the pigs you made his life easier or it might be I saw you working with the horses and you were with jive and she was cantering around the arena and I was really scared but I saw how she gradually calmed down and she came in and she started How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To move towards you. And there's the reflection of what they're doing, but also from the group. So you've got a two-way mirror, because children are always reflecting each other, whether you like it or not. <laughs> they're always giving feedback, yeah. and it's usually negative. Mm. So one of the things we work on all the time is trying to help them see what it is that's happening outside themselves, but also what they want more of for themselves. Mm. So it's that awareness. So the animals are amazing just working with awareness and reflection. And they are they're those lovely moments of just what I call hanging out with the animals. So if I'm in a session with a child, a reflective session, thinking about them, their life, joining up their experience of home and school and here... I might do it just sitting in the corner of the stable on a bale of hay with the child, with one of the ponies just standing with hanging its head over us, just sharing the same airspace. Um, it might be I'll take the pony for a walk. We'll go. We've got a little Shetland. We might Aww. go for a walk down the lane with the pony and the donkey, and we're in neutral territory. We're in somewhere different for that child. And that presence of that animal and the animal's need for them gives them a sense already of purpose and of being meaningful. Because most of our children are coming from a very, very poor sense of self-esteem. Most Mm. of them, deep down, they feel rubbish. And so we're trying to give them opportunities from the moment they wake up when they go out on feeding round and they feed the animals before they come in to breakfast, which another group will have cooked to going out again and you know they they may have collected the eggs they've brought them in they've gone out milked the cow they've brought the milk in they've watched the sad side of life they've watched some of the pigs maybe be loaded up and go to the butcher you know they might see some cattle going to these cattle are going on to um you know, they're going on to another farm because they need more grass. It might be those have now been fully fattened. And there are some really harsh realities in farming which are there in those children's lives. Mm. So it's not all... One of Jamie's phrases that I think is really important is that it's not a petting zoo. It's, It's a working farm. And children are therefore... They're going to leave here with an informed sense of whether they want to eat meat. You know, if they want to become a vegetarian, uh, they're going to have a sense of animal welfare. You know, what it is for an animal to be looked after well or not. You know, if they are going to eat chicken, would they rather eat one that's been free range? Or are they still going to go and buy their KFC? Um, you know, if they, what is beef? What's beef? What do you mean that's a cow? Some of them have no idea. Oh, gosh. No idea that pork is pig. You know, they, they are coming, you're putting them into a position of, you know, people say education is control, is power. It is. You're giving them a little of control over their lives mm. to make choices. But also you're giving them such an opportunity to feel that they made a difference. You know, mm. they actually went out there and mucked out those pigs and gave them a beautiful clean straw bed and left them looking happy, snuffling around, playing together and that was a gift that they gave to those pigs. 
that's so different from entering a classroom where you feel I'm rubbish at maths. I'm not going to put my hand up and say, I can't do this right. I'm going to chuck this rubber at Joe Bloggs at the back of the class. Oh, he's going through that back at me. Right, my chair's going right. I'm storming out. And the teacher's going to make it all my fault. I knew this would happen. You know, I'm a victim. School's rubbish. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it's, you're interrupting a cycle that gets triggered so instantly in a school. And a teacher like Rebecca, having seen a child here, would be able to say to them, "Okay, when it's difficult today, I just want you to let me know because maybe I can support you with that. Maybe we can we can look at this problem with the maths later. How about you just get on and do that for now and I'm going to make some time for you. And all this thing about time and space and self-control... You know, mm. We're asking animals to have a bit of self-control, not to mow us down. Yeah. Working with horses, you're asking them to be in a very refined relationship of consciousness and awareness. Mm. And so working with the horses with the children is magic because it's all about subtle communications and how it's, you get the best. It's nothing to do with riding. They're not taught how to ride. Or... Well, in the past, I had an amazing horse. It was my daughter's um horse and he was felt to me safe enough to put children on and I would have them on on my manage on a on a lunge with a back protector and a hat (laughs) and they would each get a chance to go from walk to canter because if you're only going to ride for 15 minutes learning to trot is just going to leave you probably very sore (laughs) and feeling (laughs) riding is too difficult (laughs) and this horse literally would balance himself to keep a child on his back and he was amazing and I over 300 children learned to ride in that way had that experience not learned to ride but had this experience of I have ridden Mm. on Robbie and then tragically he started to well he was very old and he started to trip and so I never put a child on him again because it wasn't safe and everything here has to be about Mm. safety and you know so since then we've only occasionally let children ride um because what we found is that actually the 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 horsework that we do the groundwork which is a combination of all sorts of things that we've learned from you know watching the way that monty roberts has worked with horses i have one horse who loves join up I mean, oh, really? it's like for her, it's a game. Yeah. But for the child, it's really interesting. She's watching their energy and mm-hmm. she'll eventually, when they're calm and solid, this horse will come in and she'll do her licking and cheering and she will put her head down and she'll come up and make that bond and then follow that child all over the place, just nose to tail. But some horses, that wouldn't be... They wouldn't like it. It wouldn't be good for them to repeat and repeat that. Mm. But we have some horses that we do some of the sort of Pirelli-type games, which are more about getting the horse to have, um, you know, about space and about getting the horse to feel safe being led and movement and communication. And then some of it is about... um, just the grooming of a horse, the being with the horse. It's just the attaching care. them, isn't it? And yeah. just let, having them allow you yeah. to be near them. And, Absolutely. you know, some horses don't like their ears being touched. And they're so individual, just yeah. like our children. Yeah, and because we have, we can work with the herd by having four or five horses here. What's amazing is the children then also work with the personality of the horse and their personality and what it is they reflect in each other. So they're making a choice. So there's some quite subtle work going mm. on around that. And there are um, there's so many ways you could, I mean, sometimes I do leadership work with we get boys who are ga- in gangs and they're real followers. Often they've joined a gang because they want to be part of a family and the gang gives a structure. But actually they are the bagman. They're often somebody who's been really used within a gang. So they're often the ones who are most frightened of the horse and you can do work with them looking at what is leadership? When does, when, when does that horse respect you? When do you respect yourself? How do you find your voice? Some of these children cannot find their own voice they can't find their feelings but even then they can't find a voice so Mm. if you're working with a horse 
I know that Pirelli don't work with voice, but we do. These horses, <laughs> they are very responsive to voice and tone and volume and presence. And it's really great with the children when I work with them to see how they can see the horses. You know, their ear is literally watching as an extra eye, mm. but also listening at every level, because listening is obviously... It's not just hearing, listening is noticing. Yeah. yeah. So you had to learn, um, you had to teach yourself the Monty World, but you're obviously very experienced with horses and they're all your horses. Some of them are now. We've bought some others, but we started mm-hmm. with my horses. And I I was always attracted to problem horses. <laughs> no surprise being attracted to working with children who had, you know, had problems. And um, I loved that challenge of finding the right mode of engagement with an animal and although I started off when I was younger doing competitive work and you know thinking I wanted to do show jumping and then eventing I'm I don't have what it takes to be in that world Mm -hmm. and so I would take on young horses and work with them and I think that I learned so much about attunement um, because I'm a bit manic and on the go (laughs) being with a horse I have to slow myself right down Mm -hmm. and I have to tune in and and so I think that I was eager each horse would present me a different problem so I had a horse had massive attachment issues um, because her sire was Java Tiger who was a wonderful wonderful stallion but the, and they were doing embryo transplants from the mother, so taking her away from this unweaned foal and mm. leaving her in a ho- in in a box, and she would go crazy when other horses went away. So Aww. she was in a competition yard, and they just said, "Look, we're going to turn her out on the new forest. She's driving us mad. She weaves so badly. She gets so distressed when other horses leave." So with Jive, who I've still got, she's twenty five now. Um, she needed. To always feel secure, she needed another horse around her. Um, so it meant we had to have three, so that if someone <laughs> took one out, there was one left. And she needed to build up a sufficient relationship with me. And now she's built that relationship with the children, and she's extraordinary with children. And yet, when I got her, you know, most of my friends said, "What are you doing with that animal? She's lethal." Now, interestingly, I never. I didn't fall off jive until we had an accident in a gate which slammed shut on us and it severed the girth and I went flying on the road and broke my back. Oh my gosh. And that horse was so distressed Mm. seeing me lying there and um, I haven't found a horse like her since. I bought four others that didn't work. Each taught me something but I realised that there was a bond between us mm. and her, she moved so beautifully and fluently. And and so I've had a kind of adventure with Jai from having her as a beautiful horse that I trained and did some dressage on and then now she's a wonderful old lady, leader of the herd, working with the children. And then I had some horses where it was, you know, I had to go out and find out about... I had one who had kissing spine. Oh, no. And I um, was found unconscious on the road by some poor old man after I'd been upended because I'd turned him in a circle and not known that his spine was going to pinch. Oh. Um, and I couldn't ride him for months because of the therapy we were doing with him. And so I had to find all these other things to give Jack confidence and safety. And I went off and did a bit of Pirelli training and... Uh, I found with each horse, I've had to go and find something new. <laughs> and I love learning. <laughs> so it's been a real adventure. And I will continue to learn, I think. And one day I might find another horse to ride that's beautiful, that, you know, that we really click. And mm. I rode across Wales on Jive from, you know, we I used to take her off and we'd go for days and days. Oh, wow. Um, and you do build up a friendship, and I think these children perceive that sense of connection that people can have with horses, and it gives them that sense of potential. 
and a lot of our children have gone on to work with horses. Yeah, it gives them hope, doesn't it? Because yes. when you see you see the relationship that you can have with a horse, yeah. and there are lots of horses that maybe you don't connect with. Um, you can't connect with every horse, like you can't connect with every human. Exactly. And some horses, I think, are better partnered with other people. Yes. And such, but you get that one that you have yeah. that bond with. Yes. And unless you experience that or you witness yeah. that, it's very difficult to explain it to anybody. So I should imagine the teenagers, the, the young people, yeah. when they're seeing that, it's like something triggers in the brain so to say, wow, you can actually witness communication, yes. which normally isn't tangible. No, and it's because it, the horse will indicate if it's displeased mm-hmm. so quickly. But you're right about it, the, the bit about the brain because I actually think that... There's so much research now that shows us that the neural pathways that form in children when they're still a teenager's brain is forming still very rapidly and we're creating new pathways for these children, new ways of associating and thinking. You're also building the frontal cortex which can cope with emotion. Mm-hmm. It has to grow. It's like a muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about a child developing emotional muscle. And the the work with horses is something it gives... We know it gives people endorphins being around horses. So all of the defences against learning and against relating and trusting are quietly shushed by being in the presence of a horse often. And so a child's so much more receptive. Mm. And because we now have four or five horses and they choose, they choose that special relationship you talked about, and they feel somehow chosen, and it's a reciprocal thing, and Mm. that's what's so amazing. They, In making that choice to work with a horse, when we have very skilled people doing the work with the horses, with the children, and the children then feel loved in return by the horse. And the, the horses respond to children actually with more openness than they do to adults. It's because, remarkable. I've yeah. seen it with my own horse. I yeah. had a um, an 18-month-old. I mean, he's yeah. big, he's black, he's yeah. Asian, he's very, very powerful and very yeah. strong. And as a five-year-old, um, when he was five, I, I popped my goddaughter on his yeah. back and... Um, he literally took tiny little steps. Yes. He was, I mean, he's not a gentle, he's, he's a gentle soul, um, but he's very heavy with his feet. Yeah. He was so calm, yes. so quiet. He just hardly wanted to move. And then, um, and I took her off and she was sat down by my side and she started crying. Um, not, yeah, I think, yeah. I can't remember what it was for, nothing to do yeah. with riding. Um, I think she probably wanted a sweet or something. And when she was crying, Blackjack very carefully walked up and just nuzzled yeah. her with his nose. I've never seen him be so gentle. It's extraordinary. It's like they sense vulnerability Mm. um, in a child. So a child to them is like um, a a vulnerable, non-threatening person because that's they're always, as we know, they're always on hyper vigilant Mm. about threat. So a small child or a distressed child um, isn't really a threat to a horse often and and I think that it's extraordinary I've seen it with I have a grandson who's got spinal muscular atrophy and the horses adore him and he just loves sitting on them and he's very bright and communicative but he has very little muscle and I watch how they shift their own muscle structure to try and help balance healthy (laughs) and I watch with the children here how they try to offer reassurance and it's a magical thing because it's a new map. It's, it's something these young people have never experienced. They can access it because it doesn't have any... There's no barriers to mm. that learning. There's no precursor that says you're rubbish at this or you're going to fail or it's too hard. Um, all of those things that come in around formal learning. And in schools at the moment, children are measured all the time and they are... They're sh- named and shamed if they're at the bottom of the pile. Mm, yeah. How can they, how do you start from that? I can't. It's not going to give anyone confidence if they're constantly being told that they're no good yeah, and they no. can't do it. Yeah. I, I'm presuming, though, it's from what you were saying earlier about the reality. They see the real world. This is 
it's in a very magical, lovely bubble, but it yes. is real. Yes. Um, you know, with the pigs going off. Yeah. I should imagine that not always can they connect with the horses. So does that give them a sense of rejection? Well, some of them don't want to connect with the horse. It's interesting. We had a girl here this week, and she was going to do some horse work with Rachel. And Rachel asked her which horse she'd like to be. I don't want to be with any of them. I don't like them. And so Rachel's very skillful, so she turned her attention to just doing some poop scooping and left this young lady standing at the gate. And she then made her way in to where the donkey was and started caressing this donkey and um, she didn't outwardly show any signs of interest in what could be done with the horses and Rachel knew enough to see that to push her would just build a defensive barrier so she Mm. just left her to have this time so it was supervised but as if unsupervised Mm. it was like this was this child's own choice her own time spent with this donkey and then when she was asked at the end of the week what her favourite moment had been it was that time with the donkey wow so sometimes you have to have a very light touch or know when to back off <laughs> you know it's I think what I've tried to, to do here with what all of us try to do is to take every encounter as a sort of therapeutic potential so you have to read very skillfully people here are reading do I need to move forward or backwards with this child does this require more contact less contact you know Mm -hmm. how much of an intervention can you make and sometimes I have to come in quite heavy if I've got um I said talk about the full orchestra you know it's (laughs) like you can be very calming and soothing with a child but equally sometimes you've got to have the big voice that says no Mm. absolutely no way that is unacceptable and in that way they can feel contained so so the farm contains all of these ingredients if you like of real life of our emotional complexities can be played out but um you know living tolerating living together working together sharing a room they have rooms with just two or three but they've got to learn to get on with each other who's going to shower first who's who's put the logs in the boiler did they heat up enough water you you took too much water you know all the issues (laughs) are going to be there that are there in a family but we can take the time to take a child on one side or facilitate two of them in an argument to look at what this conflict's about And one of the best ways to look at a conflict is to take them out of the situation and go and be around some animals, which give you what I call the third position. So someone stroking the neck of a a pony or cradling a lamb, whilst you have a difficult conversation, is much more likely not to kick you know kick off and swear and shout and tantrum so you use that that potential of the soothing factor but also the responsibility you know Mm. they don't want to frighten animals they don't want to be cruel or unkind and how does this then expand into their when they go back and go back to school how does how do they take everything that they've learned from here and have it in their real life in their life well, interestingly, when I've gone into schools and asked children in the follow-up, you know, um, what what's changed in your life since you left Jamie's farm, a lot of children have said to me that they now appreciate their parents in a different way. So they might mm-hmm. help in the kitchen, they might get involved in cooking, they might go in the garage with their dad and start mending the car, they might go around to their grands and offer to dig the garden because they do a lot of gardening here as well. Um they have more of a sense of shared responsibility so that changes their capacity to relate to people changes so I was liken it to a piece of jigsaw they fitted into their life and they're one piece of jigsaw and around them are these other snug fitting particular shapes the members of their family, the dynamics of their life. It's a bit like a 4D model. But you change the shape of the child, the rest of the world can no longer relate to them in the same way and won't. The rest of the world has to adjust its response. So a child who walks into a classroom and doesn't throw his bag on the table and look miserable 
isn't going to provoke in a teacher. Oh my lord, I've got you know, mm. I've got him today. Why have I got to teach this child? You know, it's just going to be a battle royal. She might go, oh, he's he seems quite neutral or pleased to be here, and they might walk up and say, hi, how was your week at Jamie's farm? So you you change things. The child's sense of who they are and how the world can be has altered, and it changes those little shapes and nodes of communication it's a bit like all of us have got you know like one of those uh like those toys that have lots of things coming out of them <laughs> you spikes. know little yeah. spikes <laughs> and a lot of the spikes have gone in mm. and so there's places people can get in and make contact and and just be a little bit more connected and of course that then builds because one positive builds another builds another builds another My mum said to me years ago, you can't manage other people's emotions and other people's behaviours, but you can manage your own. And if I'd had a bad day at work and I was having a rant, she'd always say, Amy, just manage your own emotions and manage your own feelings. And from the sounds of it, the young people are coming in and they're so used to being treated the same way or having the same reactions to certain certain things that they do and their Mm. behaviour that you've just turned it all on its head. And you're always yeah. kind and nice and um, strong and yeah. firm at yeah. times, but understanding. And they might not have had anybody understand them their whole life. So they're then getting a different response off you, which then in return, they're understanding how response from behaviour works mm. and consequences mm. to behaviour. Yes. That's just a... a no, it's a good summary. And I think that's exactly it. I mean, we try to always find a positive way of responding mm. to behaviour. And the children say within 24 hours of being here, they will go, how come everyone's so kind here? How This place is so caring. And those two words, they I hear them utter again and again. Um, and I think it is that it surprises them, but it helps them find that part of themselves that is kind and caring. So if they can't show it to human beings, they can show it to animals as a first point. Mm. And then because we do all of the group work and they're reflecting together and they're thinking together, they do feedback. We give them feedback. They give each other feedback. They're learning to communicate because that that step of having the confidence to share what you feel or think particularly in the peer groups where negativity is the token culture it's it's basically it's what they trade on is often insults then them seeing the difference that you can actually use you can slip in compliments you can say supportive things you can show supportive gestures it's very very profound and powerful because I think in every child there's a desire to be something special and to be seen as special and so we're just treating them in that way that we know they're special and we believe they're special and our task is to help them feel special so they can illuminate you know and make choices later in life. I think we could all do with learning a little bit from Jamie's farm. (laughs) (laughs) I think we could take away from this just to be positive and be nice. And, you know, our industry is not known for being a very nice industry and um, and quite well known for putting people down. And I think it would be lovely if we could all take a little piece of just the next time you see somebody, say something nice to them. You know, say your jacket's nice today. Say your horse is lovely. Say something rather than oh my goodness, your horse ate my rug today. Say, I love your new rug. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something, just be nice. Well, people often think those thoughts, don't they? God, I love your horse, I wish it was mine. Well, even saying that is is actually giving a compliment that this mm. person owns a beautiful horse, but actually the envy might take over and you might say nothing and, and actually think, oh, it's only they can afford a horse like that, I can't. But actually we can all afford everything if we look at the smaller things in life, you know, those build those little things. And, mm. and I think these children are, um, you know, some of them don't come from totally impoverished backgrounds. A lot of them do. You know, we had a week this week, we had children who were so deprived that if I stopped to think about what it would be like to be in their families, I would weep. I mean, some 
horrendous things that they've had to survive. And I would say they found it very difficult to take in the positives and show any pleasure in it. But they are at one extreme end of the scale. And then you get other children at another end of the scale where they access it very quickly. But you've got to keep zip wiring, as I put it, between the two because I think it's remembering that every child uh, has got... A, it's got talent, but they've also got blocks. And you're trying to find a way of moving out the roadblocks in mm. order to stop them achieving their potential. Um, and actually, I think that what I've learned is that I'd like to carry on doing this as long as I can because the more you know, the less you know, really. Yeah. And I want to keep learning. <laughs> and they teach me something. So, you know, they really show up some of my faults. <laughs> Tish, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for allowing me to come to Jamie's farm. Um, And you are a charity, so we can support you. Can we donate in any way? It would be wonderful if you could donate, particularly in November, because there's something called the the Big Give, which means anything that's given to us, we can double, which is an extraordinary thing. So if people are interested, they can look on our website, which is just... Jamie's Farm. Is it jamiesfarm.org? dot org dot uk, and um, we you'll see that there is a there's all sorts of things. If people are interested, they can subscribe to our newsletter. They can listen to our podcast. But donations are so so valuable to us because each donation goes towards you know enabling another child to have a chance to come, and uh, mm. it, it's wonderful to think if we can offer this to more children. So thank you. Absolutely, my pleasure. We will be adding a lot of information on Jamie's Farm onto our website. And every year we select a few charities that become our Horse Hour champions. So for 2017, Jamie's Farm is going to be our Horse Hour champions. And so if anybody would like any information, you can go to our website, horsehour.co.uk, and there'll be links through to Jamie's Farm. There'll be this podcast episode. And um, you make video. Your podcasts will be on there so they can listen (laughs) to your podcast. Yes. And sometimes I've seen some videos. There's that you've lots made. of videos on there, and and actually the videos are really entertaining as well. And funnily enough, the first two videos that were made at my farm initially, one's called um, Life Outside Hackney, and one mm-hmm. is called uh, Farm. I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, <laughs> those two videos show what we did then. And that was when Rebecca first came to our farm. Mm. And we do more or less the same now, but we've just learnt an awful lot along the way. Mm. But, yeah, please watch the films because they're really... They're lovely. It's it's hearing the children's voices that Mm. counts and the things they say that actually blow me away. Because the things they said to camera, I didn't know they thought or felt sometimes. (laughs) So it's lovely. And we can follow you on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yeah. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure, Tish. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I said Tish was pretty amazing. She really does do some phenomenal work. And if you're ever looking for a little holiday or a cottage breakaway, then you can actually go down to Jamie's farm and see the animals and stay in the cottages. It's beautiful. Next week, we're taking a different turn for the podcast. I talked to Barry Brown, who's known as the Bionic Bull Rider. He's written his own book. He won the PRCA Comeback Cowboy of the Year Award. And he was one of the top 50 bull riders in the whole world if he hasn't done it nobody else has that's barry brown next week thanks for sharing your photos on horse hour don't forget to tag us at horse hour on instagram twitter facebook we do love seeing your stories as always you can catch up with previous episodes of the horse hour podcast on our website horsehour.co.uk along with a whole bunch of education and advice for you and your horse I hope you have a really good week and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag Horse Hour. Follow Amy at amystevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.